Welcome, uh, everyone, Fair, to Fairfax uh, Church. Uh, my name is Alan, and I am so thrilled to be here. I love Fairfax Church. This is where I got my start back in 1993. I did an internship here at this church, and I'm so thankful for that. It changed my life, and uh, I'm very thankful for the invitation to come back and speak. Uh, if you are new here, the lead pastor, the senior pastor's name is Rod Stafford. He's not here. He's in Tampa, Florida right now at a conference. Uh, in fact, not just Rod, but the whole leadership team is there. The whole team, Kathleen and Kyle and Josh and Kayla and et cetera, the whole team, they're in Tampa. So the way I see it, we can do whatever we want. I mean, there's nobody who's going to stop us. So, all right, we can have a little, okay. No, I better be careful because I, I would like to come back at some point, but. So they are in uh, Tampa at the Church of God uh, International Convention. I was actually uh, just there and because I was invited uh, because I recently wrote a book, and so I had the opportunity to meet with other pastors and talk to them about how they could possibly use that book. Now, rest assured, uh, I'm not here to sell my book. I've been a pastor for a long time, and I know how annoying it is when a guest speaker comes in and they say, here's my book, and they bring a copy up up front, and they say, here's my book. And they, they were swinging around, and they say, I want to make sure you know. And then they put a slide up on the screen that says, here's my book. And, oh, my goodness. Yuck, that is so annoying. And then, and then they, you know, it can be really annoying if they say, hey, in the lobby, you can buy one if you want. There's a little table set up there, and we accept cash and Venmo. And, and that can be incredibly uh, just nauseating. And probably the worst version of that is if someone comes here and then, then their whole message is about the book as a guest speaker. Ugh. So this morning, we're going to talk about the overall story of God. And I'm so excited to do that with you. Have you ever read the Bible or attempted to read the Bible and you open it up, you get somewhere and, and you just kind of look at it and you read a section and you go, what? what? What is this all about? I mean, this is the book. This is the gift that God has given us in black and white in terms of understanding his story and in terms of understanding him. And yet there are sections in there that are difficult to read, that are difficult to understand. Perhaps there are parts in the Old Testament where you read some laws, some weird laws about what you can eat and what you cannot eat, or laws about menstruation and, and how that, you know, we're supposed to respond to that, or weird laws about honoring your father and mother. I mean, just really odd things in the Old Testament. Or you get into the New Testament and you read the words of Jesus. At one point he says, unless father, unless you hate your father and mother, unless you hate your brother and sister, you cannot be my disciple. We read this stuff and we go, what? What is this all about? If you've ever read the Bible and you've had that feeling as you're reading it, you're not alone. 2,000 years ago, as part of the New Testament story, there was a wealthy guy who was sitting in his chariot, and he was reading an old book from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah. He was reading it, and he didn't understand what he was reading. And so there was a guy named Philip who was one of the leaders of this new Jesus movement, and he goes up and he tries to help this guy. The story's found in Acts chapter 8, and this isn't the section of Scripture that I'm I'm focusing on this morning, but it kind of sets us up just a little bit. 
Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 30, says, Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. How can we understand the story of God? How can we understand Scripture unless we have someone help us with it? Unless some parts are explained to us. Some parts just jump out of the page, but other parts we need some help with at times. I don't think we are born with an understanding of God's overall story. I think we're born with a need to understand it, with a desire to understand what's going on in terms of human existence. How did we get here? What, what is the big story of life? That's what I want to kind of take a look at today. Would you bow your heads and pray with me uh, one more time? Father, I, I am thankful uh, once again to be here. I'm thankful for this just great church, the warm welcome I've already felt here today. I just, I just love what you're doing here in this place. We do pray for the leaders, uh, God, that they would be refreshed and they would come back with new ideas and continue to be uh, faithful in their leadership here. I pray for this moment here right now, God, that you would open something up for us, whether we are brand new to this whole church experience or seasoned followers God, that you would open up something new so we, we can experience something new with you. We pray in your son's name. Amen. How many of you have served on a jury at some point? Okay. 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 A number of you, but not everyone. Uh, I have never served on a jury because I'm Canadian, so they won't let me. Uh, but rest assured, don't worry about it, I have read multiple John Grisham books, so I have a really good understanding of how the system works. And so my understanding of how a jury uh, system works is that you're going to have some people, because I've seen the movies, you know, and all that, some people are going to pay very close attention to the entire process. And they're going to listen to every detail from every witness, etc. And if the judge permits, they will take notes and they will take copious notes in terms of grabbing what's going on and what the, what the picture is. And they will be working hard to put the pieces together. Others who will serve on a jury might pay less attention. And they're going to be sitting there because this is, you know, serving on a jury is, as I understand it, a very lucrative and fast-paced experience. Right. <laughs> And so they're going to be sitting there and, and serving their time on, on a jury, and they, and they do the, the old head nod that we're all, the head, you know, drift that we're all very familiar with, where the head starts to go, and then you catch it halfway through because the head's pretty heavy. And then, you can, and then they're kind of trying to pay attention and doing all that they can. In the end, however, after the final remarks have been made, and then the jury goes back to do the deliberation and decide what they make their decision, etc., People with different backgrounds and different ages and different uh, uh, educations, etc., and different ways that they have been paying attention to the, to the trial overall, they're going to have to gather and decide what do we think is the true story? What do we think really happened? We are going to have to decide this together. People from varying different perspectives are going to have to come in and say, what do we think is the true story? What do we think really happened? And that journey is is comparable to the faith journey, that, that those of us who, who are exploring what faith is all about and who God is, etc., it's like being on a jury, that there, there are some of us who engage deeply and have been engaging for, for years and are paying attention to every deal, detail from every witness. 
and listening to podcasts and reading books and, and paying attention during sermons and taking notes during sermons and gathering the information and trying to put the pieces together. And then there are others who uh, are in church and they're, having, they're doing the head bob. They're doing the head nod and then they get halfway through and they come back and, and uh, that might be you right now because you think I'm talking about you and you get nervous just right now just because you go, what, 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 did, I, what did I say here? Regardless, all of us, we come from, from different backgrounds and different, different parts of the world and um, different histories with our parents in terms of understanding who God is and what, what, how religion fits into life, etc. Different experiences that we've had relationally, etc. We all have to come to the table and say, okay, what do I believe? What, what, what do I believe is the true story? What do I think really happened what is the true story? See, th- th- that is the faith question. It's really an issue of deciding what do you believe is the real story? What story do you believe you're living in? This is the faith question. What story do you believe you're living in? A deep faith essentially says, I, I know what the story is. I have been digging into this for a long time. Deep, deep faith says, I am very confident. I know who God is. I know who I am. A developing faith simply says, I, I'm not sure what the story is. I get glimpses, things that are really exciting for me, and then, and then I get parts that are just really puzzling. A developing faith is simply trying to explore what is the grand story? What is the overall story? And, and an essential faith question for all of us is to say, what story do I believe I'm living in? What is the truth? What actually happened? Who's guilty and who's not guilty? I read at the beginning from Acts chapter 8, the story of Philip, and it uh, kind of sets us up for where I want to spend my time here today, which is in Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9... We are introduced to the main character in the New Testament outside of Jesus. Jesus, of course, is the main character in the whole story. But in the, in the New Testament, there's a guy whose name was Saul, and the name was changed to Paul, who ended up writing most of the New Testament. And here's the, the main part where we, we get uh, connected with this guy named Saul. So Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And then he goes on in terms of more details on that. It's so natural for us to read Scripture and just kind of read it quickly. There's so many pages here, and they're very thin. So we want to kind of of keep things moving and such. But it is okay to pause on a phrase like that. Saul, whose name later becomes Paul, was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Breathe. Ah, he's breathing out murderous. We're not talking about someone with a difference of opinion. Well, you, you know, we, we agree to disagree. Breathing out murderous threats. Saul was a guy who believed very deeply in, in the story as he understood it. He believed very deeply in the, in the Old Testament story, the story of the, the God, the story leading up to Jesus. In fact, he believed so deeply in it that he was, he was incredibly offended by these Christians who were declaring this Jesus was the Messiah that they'd been waiting for. And Saul was saying, this is ludicrous. 
This, this Jesus guy is from Nazareth, first of all. This guy is, was poor. He's a rabbi, but he was a nobody. He was, his disciples were a bunch of young nobodies. And he was, uh, he was, a, he was poor, and he, was, um, and he died on a tree, which is an indicator of being a cursed man, not a special man, and certainly not God, the Messiah. So Saul, based on the evidence that he had, was saying, absolutely no. No way. Absolutely no way. And then this happens. Verse 3. As he neared, as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what to do. Saul got new evidence. In his pursuit of the true story, he got new evidence. He believed in a certain story. He got new evidence, and then he believed in a different story. So again, the question is, what story do you believe you're living in? As you look at the witnesses around you, the people, that you ha- the people who are saying that they are believers, or as you're reading in the witnesses in Scripture. See, see Saul, he, had, he, he was a jury member who, who got new evidence and then changed his story. But now Saul becomes a witness for us in our story. We sit here and we read this story and we say, okay, how credible do we think this witness is? How, do we believe this actually happened to Saul? Do we, do we believe he hated Christians that much and he had that much of a radical change? Do we believe he actually had an encounter with a living Jesus? He becomes a witness and we become jury members deciding whether or not we believe there's credibility to this witness. What story do you believe you're living in? Most of us are familiar with C.S. Lewis's amazing book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is, one, which is the first book written in the Chronicles of Narnia. It's the story of four children who go through a wardrobe and, and enter into a, a land called Narnia. And each of those four children have to decide, what is the true story of Narnia? They have conversations with animals, and they meet mythical creatures, and they have their own experiences in Narnia and their own feelings about what happens, and they, they talk to one another, and what do you think is going on, etc. And they have to decide, what is this Narnia place all about? Is this the place where the white witch rules, or is this the place where Aslan the lion is the one that we should be listening to and following C.S. Lewis, I believe, is very intentional in this story to say that's what we are all invited into. Each of those four kids had a different experience in Narnia, and they needed to decide what is the true story here in in this land. What really is the circumstances going on around me? That's what our experience is with faith. Because we 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 have we're bombarded with all sorts of information. Now more than ever, we have access to so much information in terms of what's going on in the world around us, what's going on in the grand story of human existence. 
We have so much history that we have access to. We have so much uh, religion, different kinds of religion, trying to explain why we're here, etc. We have access to tons of information. We are in Narnia looking around going, what do we believe is the true story? What story do you believe you are living in? This is a critical question because the story you believe you're living in shapes how you live your life. The story you believe you're living in shapes how you live your life. Paul had this encounter with Jesus. It radically changed him. In that same chapter, Acts chapter 9, continue down to verse 20. It says, at once he, Saul, began to preach in the synagogues. He began to preach that Jesus is the Son of God, the exact opposite of what he was so adamant about earlier on. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Everything changed for Saul. I think it's amazing here in, all of this happens in one chapter, Acts chapter 9. All of this happens in a small amount of time. What I think is amazing about Saul is that he didn't have this experience with Jesus and then shut down because of how wrong he was. I love, I think that's why God chose Saul. That he didn't have this experience and go, oh my, I am such a loser. I am pond scum. I am the fungus that feeds off of pond scum. He didn't kind of have this this debilitating experience to this story. He said, okay, I have new evidence. So now I have a new story. And now I'm going to lean into a new plan. Because the story we believe we're living in shapes how we live our lives. Have you ever learned something about someone in your life, and once you learn that thing, it changes that relationship? For example, let's say you have a boss that you are not getting along with. This boss is mean and thoughtless. And then you discover that he has a wife at home who's dying of cancer. Now, that doesn't excuse the boss's behavior, but very likely that's going to change your relationship with him. When we learn more about the story, it has an effect on our relationships, etc. That's why it is so traumatic in marriage or in other deep relationships when someone is caught in a lie. It's so painful because we thought story. This is the story we've been functioning under and assuming and working under for weeks or months or years. But then when, when the lie is uncovered, we realize this is the real story. And that shift from what we thought was going on to what we now learn is going on is a traumatic shift for us. Because the story we believe we're living in shapes how we live. So that's going to have an effect on that. When you think about world religions, I, I personally don't think that Hindus and Buddhists and those who adhere to Eastern religions, I don't think that they're wrong. I think they're living out a different story. 
I think they believe a different story. And so they're, they're living out of that story. Stay with me for just a moment, because I, I feel the same way about that Muslims believe very much uh, a similar story to what Christians believe in. They believe in the Old Testament story. They believe in Abraham and Moses and the prophets. They believe in the New Testament story. For the most part, they believe Jesus was real. He was a prophet. They don't believe he was God, but they believe he was a prophet. They believe in Paul and his story and the story found in the New Testament. But they have an additional part of the story where Muhammad becomes the, the, the uh, final prophet who provides a full revelation of God. So Muslims believe in a different story. So that obviously is going to shape how they live their lives. The story we believe we're living in shapes how we live our lives. If you believe, for example, that God is very much interested in American sports, then that's going to shape your prayers on Sunday afternoon. If you truly believe that God in some way is up there going, you know, I think, it's, I think this is the year for Washington. I think this is the year for the commanders. And, and if God is up there going, okay, how can I, how can I work this or how can I make a trade happen? If you believe that that's kind of the way God is watching or thinking about football, that's going to shape your prayers on Sunday morning when, you're, when, when Washington is down by two points and there's just uh, three seconds left on the clock and the kicker comes out getting, getting ready uh, to kick a game-winning field goal, that your prayers are going to be, God, would you give tremendous supernatural strength into this young man's legs? Yes, his longest kick was a 53 three-yard field goal, greatest 55-yard field goal right now here in this moment, which I think is hilarious because there are people in another city in the country praying the exact opposite to what you're praying. And so I just wonder how God just kind of listens to all of that. But however you believe God views or encounters those situations, it shapes how you pray. Okay, let me be a little bit more practical than that, but sticking with football. If you believe that God is like a coach, a football coach on the sideline, and you are a player on the field, that that's kind of the way life goes, and you are doing your job, and you have your responsibility, and you know that the coach loves you and cares about you very much, and the coach is aware of everything that's going on, but the coach is way over there, 60 yards over there, and has so many things on his mind, he's not really all that... He's not really paying that much attention to exactly what your footing is or what you're doing with your position. If you believe that's how the story is going for you, that God is over there and you are doing your best to play your role over here, as opposed to God being right next to you on the field, right next to you saying, you got this, you got this. Okay, you're going to get the ball this time and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to run with you. The story you believe you're living in shapes how you live your life. If you believe that God is like a sweet grandma who bakes delicious chocolate chip cookies and never says no to her grandkids, that's going to shape how you pray and how you respond to the reality of life, etc. The story you believe you're living in shapes how you live your life. So, if you are a jury member, if I am a jury member, it would not be reasonable for me to sit at the deliberation table, sit down and say, okay, okay, we've got to decide together here. And you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and you're wrong. And if any of you want to know what your opinion is, just 
Ask me and I'll tell you. That would be unreasonable for me to just say, oh, you're all wrong, you're all wrong. Because all of us are trying to figure this out together. All of us are trying to figure out what is the real story, etc. But it doesn't mean that there are multiple stories. There's still one story. We can disagree about application. We can disagree about details, etc. But there's still one story. It is not reasonable for different people to say, well, I think this is what happened, so that's my real story. We don't get to make up the story. In a trial case, either the person did it or did not do it. Either the person who walked into that store that night was wearing a baseball cap or they were not wearing a baseball cap. There is one truth. There is one story. And our pursuit is trying to figure out what that story is. We don't get to decide or make up whatever story we want. It is a pursuit for us to try to figure out What is that story? We get to decide. Do we believe either God created everything or not? Either Jesus rose from the dead or not? We can't have multiple answers to that question. It's what we believe. What story do you believe you're living in? Either Paul had this encounter with a living Jesus or he did not. think the story is big. It is big and it is daunting and it takes our whole life to try to unpack it and figure it out. And that's why I think it's helpful to kind of break the story down. So let me just kind of paint a picture with you. Okay, imagine that everything that you have learned from the Bible, from Scripture, from messages, etc., is a two-by-four piece of wood. Okay, everything that you have learned. So, so you learned the story of Paul and his uh, conversion on the road to Damascus. That's one two by four. And then we throw it on the ground. Ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. And then you think of every sermon, every story from the Bible that you're familiar with, every parable, every story from the Old Testament, every psalm, and that's another two by four. And we throw it on this pile. These are different parts of the story that we've learned over the years, Old Testament, New Testament, etc. Some of you, you're going to have a large pile of wood. You're going to have an enormous pile of wood over here. Others of you, you might be new to this whole journey, and you might just have a few. You know the David and Goliath story. You know Jesus died on a cross, and now you know about Paul's conversion. And maybe there's just a few two-by-fours. But let's add to that pile anything that you are aware of in terms of, of a story of God anywhere, anytime in human existence. Anything from church history over the past 2,000 years, anything that has happened in different parts of the world, anything that you've learned about God is another two-by-four that we throw onto that pile. Good or bad, they're part of the story. And so we throw them on. We think, I, I, I did learn in school about the Reformation and Martin Luther and what's going on there. I'm going to throw that onto this big old pile. And then we add to that pile our own stories and experiences with God. Whether we can explain them or not, we add them to that pile. We say, you know, when I was 10 years old, I had that supernatural experience with God, and I, 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 I know something amazing happened, but I can't explain it. That absolutely is a two-by-four that gets thrown onto that pile. And any other experience that you've had with God or you had a conversation with your grandma and your grandma had this level of faith that has forever impacted you, and we throw that two-by-four on the pile. For many of us, our faith journey is this big pile of two-by-fours that is just kind of a mess of wood. 
And I think it is incredibly helpful to take the two-by-fours and create structure with those two-by-fours as far as understanding what the story is. To take the two-by-fours and say, okay, well, this is early in the story, and this helped set up this piece, so I'm going to take this two-by-four and put it over here. And what's great about having this structure this framing of the story is that then when you learn something new and you can go, oh, okay, I think I have an idea where this fits. This, this, is, this doesn't connect with that. This fits over here, so I'm going to attach it over here. And we get this structure and framework that allows us to step back and go, okay, now I can see the big story better than I have before. And that framework or structure is what I... I try to do in this book that I'm not promoting <laughs> is, is, is to provide some kind of simple, it's, it's regular Joe language around creating structure or framework so that we can understand what this overall story is. I think this is important because the task of trying to learn the story can be very intimidating. For some people who walk into a room like this, genuinely seeking truth, genuinely seeking a connection with a, with a living God. They know something is real, something is true, and they know there's more to life than what they have experienced prior to this. And they walk into this room, and it is natural to sit here and be intimidated with the belief that everyone here in this room understands the story, and they don't. It is natural to just sit there and assume everyone knows more than you know. But let me just tell you, they don't. Okay, look at the people around you. Look, look around. Look at a couple people around you. Take a look. Look in their faces. Look at a few people. Okay, they don't know much. Look at, look at them again. Look at, do they really know much? No, they don't know as much as you think they do. They don't know as much as you think they do. They have questions too. They have questions that have not yet been answered. They have doubts too. They are putting the pieces together as well. It is, and, that, and that's why it is reasonable for us as jury members to come to this place of saying, okay, I still have unanswered questions. There's some of the details I've heard from some of the witnesses and some of the pieces don't quite make sense. But nonetheless, even with unanswered questions, this is what I believe happened. This is what I believe to be the true story. If we translate that to the faith journey, this is what I believe to be, even though I have unanswered questions, this is what I believe to be the grand story of human existence. What is not reasonable, going back to the trial illustration, is for someone to be in the, uh, in, in the deliberating room and then ask, what, what do you think happened? And they say, I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. I was, the lawyer was just talking, blah, 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 blah. And the witnesses kept on talking, blah. And it was just going on for so long, and I kind of drifted. I, I don't know what's happening. But if you're forcing me to make a decision, I think he did it, the guy in the red shirt. And people in the room are going, he, he's not even on trial. He, he's one of the jury members. No one, no one thinks he did anything. Well, he, look at his beady little eyes. Look at him. He did it. He did it. See, that's the part that's just not reasonable. There's a responsibility for us in terms of saying, what do I believe this story to be? There's a responsibility for us to lean into that and try to investigate and put the pieces together. There's a responsibility for us because whatever story that is, it shapes how we live our lives. 
there is a responsibility for us to lean into it and make efforts to put the pieces together as best as we can. Did you know that most people in church, I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm very confident. I haven't had anyone disagree with me on this yet. Most people in church who call themselves Christians have never read the Bible. The whole thing. And I'm not saying that as a slap on the wrist. I'm just saying that that's odd. That would be like someone who's a trekker, a big fan of Star Trek, saying, yeah, I've never seen the Wrath of Khan. What? If you call yourself a trekker, you're going to know the Star Trek story. If we call ourselves Christians, it is more than reasonable to assume that we know the Christian story beyond the, 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 the core of the story that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Yes, that is the core of the story. But a Christian, it's understandable that a Christian would know, would know the grand story, would know the whole story. So what I want to do with you is, uh, as I close here, I want to just ask you to close your eyes. And, and I'm not going to pray with you right now. I'm going to pray at the very end. But right now, I just want you to close your eyes, not in, not in prayer necessarily, but just to kind of remove distractions And I just want to ask you, while you sit there with your eyes closed, what story do you believe you're living in? Just in your mind's eye right now, just step back and and see earth moving away from you and the magnificence of the universe and their galaxies and billions and trillions and trillions of stars. What story do you believe you're living in? Is there a God who created all of this? Do you really believe that? Does that God know who you are? Is that God aware of you today and what's going on with you right now? Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has a part for you to play in the story? Do you believe that God is distant and unaware of, of, of your role, or do you believe that God is intimately connected to you in your role? Do you believe that your disobedience in small and large ways has any impact on your relationship with that God or in your role in the story? What story do you believe you're living in? Go ahead and open your eyes if you would. I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm asking you what you believe. Because I think there's a responsibility for all of us, especially for those of us who call ourselves Christians, to say, what story do I really believe in? Not just what somebody has told me, but I'm, I'm on the jury and I'm to listen to the witnesses and, and take note of these pieces and put them together and say, what story do I believe I'm, I live in? Because the more we understand that, the more we can allow it to impact us. The story we believe we're living in shapes how we live our lives. Would you bow your heads one more time in prayer? Father God, I, I thank you that um, I believe you are very involved in our lives. You are very 
deeply, beautifully aware of what's going on with every heart, every mind, every struggle, every distraction, every disobedience represented here in this room. God, you are fully aware and your grace is tremendous and you are not distant on the sideline. I confess that's where I sometimes stumble in my journey with you is thinking that you are distant. You have more important things to take care of than me. But God, your story says that you are with me right here with me, right beside me. And so, God, would you help me to to believe that to the point where that affects how I live my life? God, would you allow us to embrace that, to, to know what the story is and allow it to shape us in the most profound way possible? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.